Uh, what is up, everybody? My name is Isaac Bogue. Hi. I am here to talk to you guys about James. About James, and we themed it after Shrek, because at first we themed it after Cars, and then we thought it'd be funny to theme it after Shrek. So we just did it, and um, yeah, that's how you know that you're in a college ministry when things are Shrek-themed. Um, if you were with us last week, we talked about James 4 and 5, and now we're going to kind of go backwards and talk about James 3, um, which I actually think is a super challenging and super fun chapter. So we're going to dive right in. But before we do any of that, before we do any, I love that song so much. Um, and my favorite part is when they go, holy, holy, holy is Lord God Almighty. And in the Bible, if something is repeated, it means it's important. So anytime like Jesus is like, truly, truly, I tell you, he's like, oh, he said truly twice. This must be something important. Now, now I should listen to Jesus like you shouldn't listen before. But in, in the Bible, holy, holy, holy is unheard of, except when it's talking about God. And I just think that's so cool. So before we get started, let's just, let's just pray because God is holy, holy, holy. Lord, thank you so much for Collective um, and for the opportunity just to be here. Um, it's a rare thing in this world to be able to open and publicly celebrate you and talk about you um, and hang out and have a good time. And so we thank you for that, and that's not lost on us. Um, allow everything that comes out of my mouth to be your words and not mine. Um, I just pray for everyone here, if they're under stress or attack or anxiety or whatever is going on in their life, Lord, I just pray that they would feel your peace that transcends all understanding and that they would feel that you would be with them. In your name I pray. Amen. What's up, guys? Welcome back. Hey, man. Hey. Hey, can we get a round of applause for the band? Th those guys are crazy. Personally, for me, I am awful at, like, all things musical. So anytime someone's good at it, I'm, like, extra blown away. So I'm very blown away by them. Okay, so we're going to look at James 3. It's going to be on this thing right here, on these big screens. James 3, 1 through 18. Perfect, right there. It says, not many of you should become teachers, my fellow believers, because you know that we who teach will be judged more strictly. We, we all stumble in many ways. Anyone who is never at fault in what they say is perfect, able to keep their whole body in check. When we put bits into, our, into the mouths of horses and, take, and make them obey us, we can turn the whole animal or take ships as an example. Although they are so large and driven by strong winds, they are steered by a very small rudder wherever the pilot wants it to go. Likewise, the tongue is a small part of the body, but it makes great boasts. Consider what, what a great forest is set on fire by a small spark. The tongue is also a fire. World uh, is also a fire. World of evil among the parts of body, it corrupts the whole body, sets the whole course of one's life on fire, and it is set on fire by hell. All kinds of animals, birds, reptiles, sea creatures are being tamed and have been tamed by mankind, but no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil, full of deadly poison. With the tongue we praise the Lord and Father, and with it we curse human beings who have been made in God's likeness. Out of the same mouth comes praise and cursing. My brothers and sisters, this should not be. Can, we bo can both fresh water and salt water flow from the same spring? My brothers and sisters, can a tree, can a fig tree bear olives or grapevine bear figs? Can a salt spring produce fresh water? And we're going to stop right there, and we're going to pick it up later. All right, I know that was a lot, but what is the gist? What's going on here? James is writing to one of the first churches that ever existed ever, um, and James is the half-brother of Jesus, so Jesus, born a virgin, James, born of not a virgin, uh, but they're half-brothers to each other, and so James is writing and when he's writing, he's asking one question. What does it mean to follow Jesus? What does that look like practically? What does that look like? If you truly believe what, that Jesus did what he said he did, what does that look like in your life? How does that change your life? So James is asking that question. He's writing this book. And so he gets to this point in James chapter 3. And he says, if you follow Jesus, if you love Jesus, how does following Jesus affect our tongue and our speech and our words? He's a bit, James is a very practical guy. So he gets there. He goes, how does this affect our tongues. Okay, how many of you guys ever been to the doctor's office? Okay, uh, hopefully all of you, because hopefully you were born there. Um, so going to the doctor's is a weird experience, I guess, but sometimes the doctor will check your tongue, right? And they check your tongue to see what's going on on the inside. I always thought that was kind of strange. Welcome, rain. If you haven't noticed already, you can hear the rain. Um, but doctors will check your tongue to see what's going on on the inside. Okay, now, this is probably the greatest story that's ever been told in the history of the world. Probably not. 
Um, I have five siblings, right? And then there's me. So there's six of us all together. And when we were very, very young, uh, you guys know like, like Watergate and like um, whatever that team was that cheated in the World Series and like all these like grand scandals going on. Okay, so there's like those and then there's, we call it Mentos Gate, okay? Just something that happened in my family room and that no one's ever heard of. But it, in, in our family, it's like the third worst thing that ever happened. So my, one of my brothers, this is the beauty of having many brothers, you can just tell stories and just say one of my brothers and then everyone else guesses, okay? Don't try to guess, I'm not gonna answer you. But one of my brothers, um, came down, and we were all sitting in the family room, and all my family was sitting there, and my sister came down, and she goes, guys, who ate my Mentos? We have one sister. She's the queen. She's the most precious individual that ever lived. She goes, who ate my Mentos? And all of us are like, we, we didn't eat your Mentos, and like, I'm, I'm like 10 or something, so like the rest of us are like young. Uh, but he's like, who ate my Mentos? Like, no one knows. And uh, we go, I didn't eat it, I didn't eat it. And then we look at one of my brothers, and we just look at him, and he's doing one of these. We go, buddy, did you eat Naomi's Mentos? He goes, no. I said, all right, try this again. We're, we're a diplomatic family. We say, did you eat the Mentos? No, no. Open your mouth. I'm good. Open your mouth. And so it's like, it turns into like this big thing. We're like, we're like, did you eat the Mentos? And he's like, no. And then like 20 minutes later, he's crying. Everyone's crying. We're just like, just admit that you ate the Mentos. And my dad is like prying open his mouth. And he looks inside and he goes, there is Mentos residue in your mouth. Like your breath has never been fresher. I can see it in your teeth. Your tongue is white because of the Mentos. You clearly ate the Mentos. Did you eat the Mentos? No. <laughs> big hole. It was like two-hour-long debacle. It was one of the strangest things. But we found out he ate the Mentos because we looked at his mouth. We looked at his tongue. We saw what was going on inside of him because it was clear that he ate the Mentos because it was on his tongue. James breaks down the, this thing about the tongue. What do we do with our tongue? He breaks it down into three main parts. The power of words, the poison of words, and the healing of words. So James is very clear right off the bat. He goes, words are powerful. Your tongue, your speech, things you say, things that come out of your mouth, they are, are, they are incredibly powerful. So we have to be very careful what we say. So James is talking about the power of words. Uh, James 1 through 5. Not many of you should become teachers, my fellow believers, because you know that who teach will be judged more strictly. We all stumble in many ways. Anyone who is never at fault in what they say is perfect, able to keep their whole body in check. We put bits into the mouths of horses, making them obey us. Uh, it turns a whole animal. Take a ship, you put a rudder, you turn the whole ship. Take a forest, you put a spark, lights the whole thing on fire, right? Little things, little things make big things. And so why, why are teachers judged more strictly? That's kind of weird. Well, when you teach or when you preach, you say more words. Right now, most of you are not talking. And I have said a lot of words. And James says you will be judged for the words that you say because words are important. Matthew 12 Jesus is, is preaching here, and he says, he warns everyone, one day you're going to have to give an account for every word that you've ever said. And I don't know about you, that terrifies me because I have said a lot of words, most of which I am not very proud of. And there was that one point in my life where I did not love Jesus very much, and my mouth is very fast and way faster than my brain, and I've said things that I wish that I've never said. And I know that one day I'm going to have to give an account for that, but that's okay because Jesus took my sin. So Matthew 12 says, I tell you, Everyone will give an account on the day of judgment for every word they have spoken. For by your words, you will be judged, and by your words, you will be condemned. Okay, this seems very harsh. It's just words, right? It's just words. I remember one time we were walking to Home Depot, and my mom said something. I said, Mom, you're a silly goose. And she got so mad at me. She was so furious. She was like legitimately furious at me. And I said, why are you mad? I called you a silly goose. That's not a real insult. But she was like, words have power. And so why, why is this so harsh? Why does this seem so harsh? Because God cares about your words. He knows that they're powerful. He cares about your speech, your tongue, your words, everything that you ever say, because he knows how powerful it is. God is a, is a speaking God, right? He cares about his words, and he cares about your words. He's a speaking God. Genesis 1.1, there was nothing. God said, let there be light, and there was light. God said, let there be, and there was, right? God is a speaking God. He's very intentional with his words, right? And if you didn't know, I, you're going to know now, if you're a human, which I'm hoping we all are, you are made in the image of God. 
Some, somehow, some way, we are made in the image of God. And so what that means is, is you have God, and it's like there's God, and then it looks in a mirror, and then it's us. We're in his image. We are somehow made after him. So being in the image of God, our words create reality. Not in the same way that God's is, because God literally said, let there be light, and there was a giant ball of fire in the sky. If any of you guys can do that, that'd be very impressive, but I don't think that anyone can. But our words create reality in a different way. I'll give you an example. I had um, this cousin of mine, okay? Someone I, you ever had like close family friends and then it's like, yeah, it's your cousin. It's, it's your uncle, blah, 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 and your aunt, blah, blah, blah. But they're not really related to you. They're just like close friends, okay? My reality growing up was that this individual was my cousin. And it wasn't until I was a sophomore in high school that I was informed that she is in fact not my cousin and just my dad's best friend's daughter, okay? But my reality was that she was my cousin. I had literally never seen her anything else. Like you put me to a polygraph machine. Is this your cousin? Did you eat the Mentos? Is this your cousin? And I would be like, yes, it's my cousin, I swear. Nope, no blood at all. But I was under that reality because someone told me that. Our self-image. How you think of yourself is solely defined on other things that people have said to you. Words that people have spoken to you about you. How you think about yourself is only defined on things that other people have said. You've built a reality of what you think that you are solely based on words. Words are powerful. They make or break relationships. They make or break each other. They make or break community. They make or break unity. If your words are poison, like James says, you're gonna break those things. If you have a relationship with someone and you say poisonous words, if you lie to them, if you say things that aren't true, that relationship is gonna start to crumble and fracture. If I kept lying to you all the time, we wouldn't have a relationship, right? There's this, there's this card game that my family loves, it's called Bang, and the whole point is like, if you're a sheriff, you gotta like kill the outlaws, if you're an outlaw, you gotta like kill the sheriff, and there's like a renegade. And basically, the whole time, everyone just lies to each other, and at the end of the game, you hate your family, because you have no relationship with them. You don't actually hate your family, we're just very competitive and aggressive. But like, in this game, all you do is lie, to try to win. There's no actual relationship here. Like I'm looking at my brother I'm like, dude, I'm an outlaw, you an outlaw? He's like, yeah. And then we, we do one of these. Because we both know we're not outlaws. We're just trying to win. We're just totally lying about everything. How many marriages, how many churches, how many friendships, how many relationships do you know personally destroyed by a lie or by harmful words or by not true words? I, I bet you, you have done that to someone and that's been done to you. I almost guarantee that about every single person here. Because our words have power. You can, you can stab someone with a sword and then pull the sword out and be like, oh, sorry, man, and then like the sword is gone, but guess what is still there? A giant wound that hurts and you're bleeding out and you need medical attention immediately. That's why never in the Bible, ever, will you hear anything along the lines of sticks and stones may break my bones, but words, they'll never hurt me. What the frick? No, that is so obviously not true. How many, we've all been hurt by words. I've hurt people with words. I've been hurt by words. Every single person has been hurt by words because that's just not a true statement. And that's why the Bible doesn't say anything like that. The Bible says, yeah, sticks and stones will break your bones, but words will go places that you never thought sticks and stones could go. They will go and they will destroy you from the inside out. They will reshape how you think about other people and how you think about yourself because words are powerful. And the Bible knows that, and the Bible understands that. That's why it never says anything like six and seven will break my bones and words will never hurt me. The problem with the power of words is that what is done to you is almost nothing. But what happens inside of you is completely devastating in every direction. If it, I remember I was walking through Drug Mart and an old lady, first of all, Drug Mart rocks, okay? I love it there. And the, uh, this a random old lady, she runs up to me, like not kidding, runs up to me, grabs my shoulder, and I was about to, I was about to throw hands with the old lady. Like I was about to be on the local news because I accidentally punched the old lady in Drug Mart. But she like ran up to me, grabbed my, yeah, and this is how I fight. And she grabbed my shoulder and she pulled me and she said, son, don't you ever cut your hair, it's beautiful. I said, huh. I mean, I have a girlfriend. But I remember that forever. That happened like two years ago. I remember that because of how powerful words are. And I remember some of the worst things people have ever, when I was a kid growing up, my dad's a pastor of this church and people have said some, some really bad things to me, just really bad. 
I remember one time I was interact. I was like a kid. I was like five. I was like, how old are you when you talk? Five? And I was like, interact. I could talk. I was interacting with this person, and they said, uh, like, what's this Bible verse? And I said, I don't know. And they said, you should know that you're the pastor's kid. And right then, right there, I swore I'd never be a pastor. I didn't want anything to do with that ever. Because that one sentence, and I remember that face, I remember that moment, I remember that sentence forever. And that has defined so many choices in my life. Because I remember those things, because words hurt. Words are incredibly powerful. That's why James calls them poison. In in Proverbs 18, 21, it says, the tongue has the power of life and death. You could be a random old lady at a grocery store giving a compliment that you remember, or you'll be someone who said something to a kid that defined their entire life. Words have the power of life and death. And so in James 3.8, it says, uh, your tongue, it is a restless evil full of deadly poison. Okay? Remember, the Bible doesn't just like randomly throw around words. This is like a serious thing. Full of deadly poison. And right here, Proverbs 18.21, tongue has the power of life and death. And so we know that, that words can kill and words can give life. And I think James uses the word poison very intentionally because the Bible doesn't just throw around words. God doesn't just throw around words. Everything has a very intentional meaning. And what poison does is it seeps into you and slowly and agonizingly and painfully destroys you from the inside out. But the worst part is no one can ever see what's going on because it's happening on the inside. That's what a poison word does to you. You, you should know that. You're a pastor's kid. Oh, why you have this job at Grace? Because you're a pastor's kid? Because your, dad, because your daddy gave it to you? This is like number one way they get me to punch you. Say something like that. Just instant trigger. Those words are poisonous. They eat you from the inside out. And so James calls them poison. So we want to we stay away from poison words, right? We don't want to say any poison words. All right. All right, James. What have you about poison words? James 5.12, so we're going to jump ahead a little bit. James 5.12 points out this. My brothers and sisters, do not swear, not by heaven or by earth or by anything else. All you need to say is a simple yes or no. Otherwise, you will be condemned. Okay? That's one type of poison. That poison is called untruthful words, right? When, when you go into a courtroom or something like that, I've never been in a courtroom or anything like that. Definitely not. Um, I got a bad speeding ticket. Um, so I went in this courtroom, and they, they put, you put your like, hand on a Bible, and you have to like, give oath, and you say, I swear to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth, so help me God. On a Bible. That, so you're under oath right there. So like, right when you do that, okay, now I'll tell the truth. Right? Something like that. Like that, that you're under an oath. The, James says, if you're a Christian, if you really believe what God did for you and you accept that into your life, you are always under oath. You shouldn't have to put your hand on a Bible and say, I swear to tell the whole truth, the whole, the, 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 nothing but the truth. You are always under oath. And none of this, I swear on my mama, I swear on this, I swear on that. You, you are under Jesus. You should always be telling the truth, always speaking truthful words. So that's one type, a, a truthful word. James says that, that Christians are always under oath for all time, always. Little low-key reference there. James 5, 9 says another type. Do not grumble against one another, brothers and sisters, or you will be judged. The judge is standing at the door. That, what grumble, don't speak against people. Don't attack people. Don't, don't tear someone down. And those words are called unloving words. Something not nice, something that tears someone down, something that goes against someone. And I'm ashamed to say it, but those are the words that I'm really good at. When I didn't love Jesus and I was a very insecure individual, if someone came up to me and they attacked me, I would rip you the shreds with unloving words. They could be true words, unloving words. And I, I hate to say that, but I was one person, I'm a new person now. Thank Jesus for that. So there's untruthful words and there's unloving words. And we could go into this for so long, but we really don't have time. But those two categories of words summarizes everything the Bible says about poisonous words. Untruthful words, unloving words, those are poisonous. Yeah? Yeah? Poisonous words. Thank you, Eric. I'm like, I've been work, I work with kids all the time and I've been running sports camps and which is like, you got like 200 kids and like with this kids, I'll, I'll like say something, I'll be like, capiche? And they all go, kaposh. So like, I like look at you guys, I'm just waiting to hear kaposh, but you're all grown people and you don't do that. Um, you can if you want to. So unless words are truthful and loving at the same time, they're poisonous and they destroy people. Truthful and loving at the same time. If they're not that, they're destroying people. 
So we talked about why those are, are harmful words. Like, why shouldn't we lie? Why should we never lie? When I was a kid, I had the worst lying issue. I could tell you what every single flavor of what every single flavor of soap tasted like because every time I lied, I got a little soap in my mouth, and man, I ate soap for breakfast, lunch, and dinner. I, I just had this weird. My mom would be like, "How are you doing today?" I'd be like, "I flew to the moon." What are you doing? <laughs> why are you lying about this? I didn't eat the Mentos. Lies distort people's views of reality. So they cannot live wisely, making them a fool. A fool is someone who is who is blind or ignorant to the reality of things. Are and so when you lie to someone, you're distorting their reality. That person was not my cousin. I was lied to. That was not reality. We were not related by any stretch. My dad and her dad just went to college together. That's all it was. No stretch of the imagination were we related. But that was my reality because I was I was lied to. It wasn't really a lie. Just no one ever told me that she wasn't. Lies create false realities of which other people live in, which stops them from living wisely. Okay, and there's remember how we talked about there's untruthful and there's unloving. Okay, unloving is you ever been to Akron or Kent, and there's that guy with a sign in the bullhorn, and he yells at you about hell. It's a pleasant experience. I, I was in a, in one of my life groups, and I was talking to people about this. And、uh, like some people were like, "Yeah, I think that's a great way to, to share the gospel." And some people were like, "No, I don't think that's a good way at all. I don't think it's a good way at all because though it may be true, maybe you have a sign that says 'Turn or burn, get saved or get microwaved.' Like though it may be true, if you don't have Jesus, like hell is a real place. Though it may be true, it is not loving in the slightest for you to be going to your class and get screamed at with a bullhorn about hell. No love in the slightest." And here's where here's the here's the common thing for the Christian community. It's an untruthful lie, an untruthful statement, a, a, something that we don't say. Right? We're, we're quiet about it. That's a type of lie when we when we don't say something about something because we don't want to offend someone or we don't want to hurt someone. When when we know something that someone ought to know and we don't say it out of fear or cowardice, that's a lie. And and though it may be loving, it's not truthful. And like we said before, if it's not loving and truthful at the same time. Then it's not true. Unloving lies are are the common are very common、um, in the Christian community because we we so desperate. That's why you see these giant like mega prosperity churches going around、um, and like you see these giant churches where like tons of people go and everyone's like, yeah, just do what I want and God loves me. Yeah, yeah. There, there's a problem in the Book of Corinthians. They would just abuse God's grace over and over because they knew it was a fact. It was a true statement that nothing you did was ever bad enough for God to reject you. There's always enough grace and always enough mercy for you, no matter what. That's a true statement. But no love in there. If you love someone, why would you abuse them? If we love God, why do we abuse His grace on a daily basis? And that's why these churches get so big because they just preach and preach all love, all love, all love, all love, and Jesus is all love, but no truth. No truth in that. If you love someone, you change what you do on behalf of them. Love and truth at the same time. Proverbs twenty-five fifteen says a very strange sentence. It says a gentle tongue can break a bone. You just imagine like that'd be such a strange, such a strange thing. I'm sorry if you guys came here. You just saw me do that. That was weird. But gentle, loving words are the the best and the most effective way to. Hang on, I wrote it down. I like how I wrote it down. Gentle, loving words are the best and most effective way to break down someone's oppositions to an idea. Okay, so I did debate in high school, and one of the ways that we would they like taught you how to debate is if you saw someone who opposed your idea, you would switch whatever tone they were talking in, and it would make them sound kind of weird. So if they were yelling at me, I would talk very gently. And very quietly and very sophisticated. And if they were talking like this, then I would yell at them. It was a very, very strange thing that's going on. But what James is saying here is, with truth and with love, gentle words are the best and most effective way to break down someone's opposition to you. Harsh words. If if I just start, if I came out here and I just started freaking yelling at all of you all the time, no matter what happened, and I ran out of breath, my throat was really dry, and I just spit. Guard goes straight up. No one wants to listen to that guy. No one listens to the guy at Akron with the bullhorn and the mega sign, bullhorn and the mega big sign that says "get saved or get microwaved." Says you're going to hell. 
No one listens to that because that is a very harsh, and maybe true, but a very harsh reality. And when someone comes at you with harsh words and, and brash tone and anger in their voice, hellfire and brimstone type of thing, someone comes at you with that, your guard goes straight up. Because our guards go straight up because we know that if our guard goes straight up that we can dismiss them. When someone tells you something you don't want to hear, no matter how true it is, we all want to believe that they don't like me. So I can just dismiss them. When, when I played sports in high school, uh, I had people come up to me and they're like, hey, you should, do, you should do it like this, right? You should do it like this. And my arrogance and my ego, I said, yeah, well, you're on JV. You're dumb. I, yeah, I was the worst. But when people would come at me like that, with true things, but they came at me like harsh, or, or if a coach like yelled at you in like a harsh way, no matter how true what they were saying was, I didn't want to listen. Because you're being mean to me. You're attacking me. I didn't do anything. Why are you talking to me like this? And, so, and then we just think to ourselves, oh, can say, oh, that person just always like that. They're just always like that. I just, just don't listen to them. They're a crazy person. Oh, the guy in Akron with the sign and the, and the bullhorn, he's always like that. Just don't listen to him. But when we talk gently with soft and loving words, it tears down people's guards. They have no excuse not to like you. So you can actually talk to them about, it, about truthful things. People need to know, everyone knows, everyone feels that, that they're a sinner and that they're judged and that they're condemned. And like, it's so easy for someone to beat up on themselves. I know, I do it all the time. And you know, because you do it all the time. Beat up on yourself. But nobody knows that there's their love and there's freedom and there's mercy and there's grace and there's compassion. And if I'm yelling that at you, if Jesus loves you. Who's going to listen to that? But if I, if I look at you in the eyes, if I talk to you very gently, very calmly, I say, dude, it doesn't matter what you did. Jesus loves you. That's a true statement. That's a true statement. That's a loving statement. And therefore, it's not poisonous words. It is only when our words are truthful and loving at the same time that our words are life-giving and not poisonous. If they're truthful and not loving, then we destroy people. If it's loving and not truthful, then we just hurt people. And, and if you are not loving with truthful words, you are not committed to the truth. And if you're not truthful with loving words, you're not committed to love. I'll say that again, because that's some heat right there. If you are not loving with truthful words, you are not committed to the truth. And if, you are, if all you have is love, if you are not truthful with loving words, you're not committed to love. Those two things go hand in hand with each other all the time, forever and always. And when one takes precedent over the other one, it's not healing words, it's poison. And it seeps down in someone. You should know that. You're a pastor's kid. That's probably a true statement. I should probably know what, what John 3.16 is. I probably should. Is that a loving thing to say to a, to a five-year-old? No. Absolutely not. That's why those things have to go together all the time. And if you have all the love in the world and no truth, you're not committed to love. And if you have all the truth in the world and no love, you're not committed to truth. And so this is where, this is, so what do we do? What do guys, what do we do? What do we do? Man, if only there was a book that talked about this. Oh, James 3 through 5. When we put bits into the mouths of horses and make them obey us, when we turn the whole animal, or when we take ships as an example, although they are so large, they are driven by strong winds, they are steered with a small rudder. And likewise, a spark ignites a whole forest. And likewise, the tongue controls your life. James is saying the tongue controls the body, which is a biblical metaphor for your life. The tongue controls your heart, which guides your life, right? Your heart guides your life, right? Follow your heart. Remember that? But look at James 3.12. It says, my brothers and sisters, can a fig tree bear olives or a grapevine bear figs? Can a salt spring produce fresh water? If you're an apple tree, are you going to expect any oranges? Probably not. If you go to the ocean, are you going to drink all the water and be like, mmm, so fresh? Probably not. Those things don't, they don't mix. They don't do that kind of things. That's just, that's just common sense. And it, it looks like James, it, uh, James is saying two different things. It looks like. It looks like he's saying if you control your tongue, you control your heart. Right? That's what it looks like. And then it also looks like if you control your heart, it can, you control your tongue. Mmm contradictory statements. You know what we do with those? 
We throw the whole Bible out and forget the entire religion. No, absolutely not. Absolutely not. Those are not contradictory. They're complementary. They go together. So many things go together. It's great. It's so fun. James is giving two strategies, two different strategies to how we do with this. So strategy number one, you control your tongue first, and then you can control your heart. So there's an organization. Forget the name. I forget everything about it. I just heard this somewhere, someplace. It's a Christian thing, and if you want to get accepted into the thing, you have to go a whole week, one whole week, seven days, not boasting, not bragging, not defending yourself, not tearing somebody down, and with all humility. One week. I, I, I challenge you, tomorrow, from when you wake up, for the next four hours, do not brag, do not boast, do not defend yourself, do not tear someone down. And it, it, it sounds like, oh, that's kind of easy. And then I, I started thinking back on my day today, and I was like, well, that probably wasn't very nice. I definitely defended myself there. Wasn't very good. And the whole point of that is it's an exercise to realize how much words we say that are actually poison compared to the words that we say that are healing. And so we start to realize that if we can control our tongue, we can control our heart. And you're like, ever got an Apple Watch? Anyone have an Apple Watch? You know everyone's got an Apple Watch because they go, <laughs> like super loud and just show everyone. I, I, when I first got it, I'd walk around and I would see her clonk. Every time I walked through a hallway, I would just freaking slam it on the side of the door. And I was like, I didn't know I walked so close to the doors all the time. And I would just walk by and I'd clonk. And there's like all right here, there's like a million scratches because every, like to this day, every time I walk past the door, I just hit it on the side. But I never noticed it until I started thinking about it. And still, I started hearing every time I walked through a door, my Apple Watch would hit something. And I never noticed how bad of a problem this was until I started thinking about it and looking for it. That's what this is all about. We think about our words, we look for those things, and we can start to control what we say. When I first bought a 2009 Honda Accord Luxury Edition, it later got hit by a semi-truck, or a pickup truck. Rammed off the road by a semi-truck, hit by a pickup truck. I have a, whole, I have a whole story about that. We'll talk later. When I first got it, I would always look on the road for other Honda Accords. It was a very silly thing that, you know, like the Jeeps, they're like, eh. You know, like people who have Jeeps, it's like a whole car culture. Okay, Honda Accord gang. Okay, and like I would see them everywhere and never once had I ever noticed the Honda Accord before until I started looking for them. That's what this exercise is. We don't notice the words that we say until we start looking for them. And when we look for them, we can see them. And when we can see them, we can start to fix things. We can start to not say poisonous words, untruthful words, unloving words. And strategy two, the primary one, if you can control our hearts, we can control our tongues. Later in Matthew 12, Matthew 12, 34, it says, For the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. For the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. Every person has something, has some over-the-top desire for something in their heart. AKA, what do you want in life? What's your goal? If I just had one, this, if you just had this one thing, you could live life happily. Everybody has that one thing. Maybe, maybe you're just like over the top excited about Star Wars. Maybe you're just over the top excited about whatever sport you're doing. Maybe you're over the top worried about your reputation all the time. This was me. This was me pre-Jesus. And, and when someone critiqued you, when someone would critique me, immediately I would tear them down. Vicious, unloving words. Immediately. I had like five right off the bat. Like you said one thing to me, before you even done with your sentence, I already had something ready for you. Unloving but I was so concerned about my reputation from out of my heart, that's what I would say. And I didn't mean, like those things that I said, I never meant them, but you attacked the one thing that I cared about. So you got attacked back. I defended myself. Maybe it's approval. Maybe that's why you, you say those coward, we talk about cowardly lies, not saying something, because you're so scared that when, if you would say that to a person, that they would not approve of you. Oh, the Bible says this. Oh, the Bible says that. And you just do one of these. No, no, Jesus says that's okay. Does he? Does he though? And we don't say, we don't say anything. And we trick ourselves, especially today in, in 21st century America, we trick ourselves into thinking we're being sensitive or we're, being, uh, uh, we're looking out for them. But in reality, remember, love is truth and truth is love. Those things have to come at the same time. It can't be one or the other. So the thing that is in your heart will overflow onto your tongue, all right? So we have to watch what our heart says. So, so what do we do? What's the solution? 
If only there was a whole book about it, James 3, 6, the tongue is a fire, world of evil among the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole body, sets the whole course of one's life on fire, and it itself set on fire by hell. Problem solved, right? It's right there. Super, no, it's not super obvious. Uh, it, it looks kind of here like James is like just being spicy, you know, like just like he's getting up there, like being a preacher, like saying something funny, trying to, you know, like when you go to a conference and people are like, like, where's my Ohio people at? And everyone's like, Meh. and where's my Indiana people at? Like, he's like doing something like that. No, no, no. James not doing that because the Bible is correct and clear about the words. They're very intentional. Remember, God loves words and no word is meaningless in the Bible. And fire is the solution. And there's two types of fire, okay? So it says that, that your tongue is set on fire by hell. Do you guys remember in the Bible, there's a story in Genesis. It's called the Tower of Babel. Maybe you heard of it, maybe you haven't. It's, it's not very talked about. But the Tower of Babel, okay, uh, happened a long, long time ago in a galaxy far, far away. And there were all these people. And at that time on the planet, every single person on the planet spoke the same language. Could you imagine how cool that would be? I mean, we kind of can now with like Google Translate and stuff, but like, but like every single post person fluently spoke the same language. So they got together, everybody, and they're like, guys, look how cool we are. You know what we should do? What should we do? We should build a tower. Everyone's like, tower, tower. They're like so hype about this tower. Like, we'll build a tower. How high should we build the tower? To heaven. What? <laughs> yep, we're building a tower to heaven. So they all got together and they worked and, and they built a, like a super tall tower. The Bible says it was X amount of cubics high. I don't actually know how high it was, but it was like a super tall tower. And then they're like standing back and looking at it. Guys, guys, look what we did. Look how great we are. We built this tower. And then the next verse, the next verse God goes out of his way to say, and then God came down to see this tower. He came down to see it. That's just, that's just awesome. He came down to see this tower. And he looked at everyone, and he switched all the languages. No one spoke the same language anymore. They, like, I would look at you, and it'd be like, I'm like speaking like Japanese or Spanish. It's a whole different language. No one recognized it. And so they, they fought, and violence broke out, and they split up, and the speech was broken, and it was poison because their hearts overflowed with selfish intentions that they were going to build a tower to heaven because they're so great. And their tongue spat that because that's what overflowed from their hearts. And so the tongue was untamed and it burned them with fire from hell. Their tongues were fire from hell, fueled by that evil fire, that selfish fire, that sinful fire. And God came down and he broke the speech. Their speech was broken. But then in Acts 2, big fancy word, it's called Pentecost don't know who gave it that name. They just did. Basically, people who love Jesus, they get the Holy Spirit inside them. And so the disciples have their tongues healed by the Holy Spirit. They just watched Jesus die and resurrect. So they just watched all of that. And Jesus is looking at me and goes, guys, just, okay, so I died, right? And then I was gone and I came back and now I'm going again. And they're like, you're, you're, you're going again? It's like, yeah, I'm going again. But don't worry. It's better that I leave you right now so that you can have the Holy Spirit. And they're like, you're going again? He's like, yeah, I'm going again. And so he's gone right now. And so they get the Holy Spirit and they are so enamored in, in absolute awe of not just what Jesus did, but what Jesus did for them on the cross in that moment. That the Bible says tongues of fire, like little sparks of fire came over everyone's head and it was the reversal of the curse of the Tower of Babel. Tongues were healed at that time by the fire of the Holy Spirit. They're able to speak and be understood about the beauty of what Jesus did for them. Fire from heaven healed their tongues and their speech was perfected. And their tongues were beautiful and the words that they said were healing and they were true and they were loving at the same time. That's what is at store for us. That happened to the disciples not because they were great people. The Bible says they were common men, fishermen. And you read the Bible, and it seems like every other verse, one of them is doing something stupid. And we say it's stupid, but it's, it's stuff that we do. They're just people. They're just guys trying to follow Jesus. And the Bible says that their tongues were healed with the fire of the Holy Spirit, and their words were, were healing, and they were beautiful, and they were true, and they were loving. Because what overflowed from their hearts? Jesus. Jesus. 
In the Tower of Babel, that story, it was all about how cool everyone was and how selfish that they were and how righteous that they were and how dope that they were that they could build this sweet tower. And then God came down and said, guys, what are we doing here? You guys, you can't handle the gift of speech that I gave you? I got to take it from you. For your own good, I got to take it. And he split up the languages. And then Jesus died and he rose again for us. And Jesus says, God, you got to give it back to them. They need it. How else are they going to talk about me? How else are they going to help each other? How else are they going to raise each other up and build each other up and make each other sharper for you, Lord? How are they going to do that with a broken tongue? And so when we accept what Jesus did for us, our tongues are healed. They saw the beauty of what Jesus did, and they were healed because their hearts was filled with the praise. And their tongues were healed because from the praise of Jesus, from their heart overflowed onto their tongues, on their speech, on their words. What did, what did Jesus do on the cross? What did he do on the cross? He brought truth and love together in absolute perfection. At one time, on a tree, bleeding out in the middle of the desert. Truth and love in perfection at the same time. Did, okay, so did, why did Jesus die? Did Jesus die for truth or for love? Yes. No, 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 no. For truth or for love. Yeah, yeah, both. Same time. Did he die for truth because God is holy and just and righteous and, and God is truth and, 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 and sin has to be punished because that's right and that's just? Yes. Yeah, he died for that. Okay, okay. Did he die for love because God loves you and his mercy is overwhelming and he doesn't want to see you go to hell and he wants to save you and he loves you so much? Yes. At the same time. Truth and love, perfect at the same time. This is the ultimate example of truth and love at one time. But wait, there's more. Order now. Why were the disciples' hearts filled with praise and awe? Because they understood what Jesus just did for them. Jesus on the cross, beaten, whipped, basically murdered. They call it the cat. It's a giant whip with like nine extensions of it. They call it, he got lashed 40 minus 1, 39, because they knew if they did it 40 times, you would just die. They got him as close to death as they possibly could, hung him on a cross, and Jesus said, my God, my God, where are you? And what did God say? Nothing silence. Jesus took our silence. Solitary confinement is like, it's like outlawed in many states now. It's, It's becoming like very, very, very rare because it's a form of torture. Because we need words as human beings. We need words like we need food, man. You get that compliment in Drug Mart about your hair and you never cut your hair. And someone calls you a pastor's kid and says you gotta live up to a better standard. You're going to do everything you can not to be a pastor. And then God's funny, so he calls you to be one. There you go. We need words like we need food. That's why it feels so good when we get those compliments, and that's why it hurts so bad when somebody says one thing. And especially if that person is close to you. If you have any kind of relationship with a kid or, or with someone, it, if, but if I'm talking to a kid and I say, you're stupid, that's going to affect them forever. My dad talks about all the time, when he was in high school, he had a relationship with a teacher, and that teacher said to him, Jeff Bogue, you'll never amount to anything ever. And he'll admit now, steps that he took, major steps that he took, solely to prove that one person wrong. That's why I feel so good, and it hurts so bad. But, but Jesus got the silent treatment from God. He got what we deserved. Remember, remember Jesus died instead of us? He died for us? We deserve silence from God because we so abuse the gift of speech. Look, look at my entire freaking life. I said things, man, I wish I could get back so bad. But it's a sword. Once you stab it and you pull it away, you can say sorry as many times as you want, but that wound's there. That wound's there. And I, and I, I wish I could get everyone I've ever said something bad to in a room. The room would be huge. And I wish I could just apologize so much and say that wasn't me I, I, I didn't love Jesus, I didn't, but I, I said things because I was insecure and I was scared and I was frightened because I so abused this gift. And so Jesus got the silent treatment because that's what we deserve because we've so abused the gift of speech. But what did we get? John 1, 12 says, we are adopted 
as God's own children. Romans 8, Galatians 4, when you accept Jesus into your heart, you're adopted as God's very own child. And what God was supposed to say to Jesus, but he instead said to us, is that when we cry out for the Spirit, and he comes into our heart, and we love God, and we realize what he did for us, the Spirit comes in yelling, this is my child, with whom I am well pleased. This is my child. We deserved ultimate cosmic silence from God. Like, what Jesus did for us, man, that's crazy. That is crazy. An ultimate truth, ultimate love at the same time so that we could hear, you are my child with whom I am well pleased. Man, I strive my whole life to hear that from some people. All I ever wanted to hear was that, I love you, man. Like, you're my kid. I'm so proud of you. You're you're the best. You did this. You rock. And when I didn't get that, I, I started doing other stuff. I started saying true things, not loving. I started saying loving things, not truthful. Poison words. Because all I ever wanted to hear was, this is my child with whom I am well pleased. And what is in your heart doesn't matter anymore once you got that in there. If, the, if anything's in your heart that's overflowing onto your tongue, if it's not God and his love, it's poison. We're poisoning ourselves, we're poisoning our other, each other. And God wants to come into our heart and he wants to just blow the whole thing up, erupt it like a volcano and just overflow out of your mouth because your words are so powerful. So powerful. Isaac, you gotta, you gotta give up your dreams, man. You're ne- you are actually never gonna do that, ever. Well, why not? I work really hard for it. Yeah, you're not gonna do it because you're bad at that. No, my, my identity's in that. Isaac, I, sorry, man. We're gonna, we're gonna move forward this year um, the team without you. Man, I, I worked really hard. I thought that could give me some peace. I thought that could give me something. Hey, Isaac, just FYI, um, I'm going to be continuing the, our relationship, but just without you. So you're dumping me? Yeah. But, but I was... But when our heart is filled with God in praise and awe of what he did for us, The disciples weren't just enamored with what Jesus did, but they realized what that meant for us, how much that changes us. And they realized, and their hearts were overflowed, and their their speech and their tongues and their words were healed. And they went off and they helped so many people because our speech was fixed. Your words are healed because you don't care about your reputation anymore. When, When God says, you are my son, you are my daughter, screw everything else. It doesn't matter. Once we know whose we are, God, ultimate creator, ultimate pure form of love and truth, you are my son. You are my daughter. I love you so much. I'm so proud of you. You're you're everything I ever wanted you to be. Reputation doesn't matter. Status doesn't matter. Money doesn't matter. Approval doesn't matter because you know what God says about you. And that starts to define you. Like the tongue on a ship, it changes the whole thing. If your heart's overflowing on your tongue, and your tongue and your words are are doing things that aren't God and His love, your ship's going this way. It's the tiniest thing. controls your whole life. But when we allow God to love us, and we actually realize, man, I'm His son. I'm his daughter. We change the whole course. Everything changes. I'm, I'll invite the band to come up. But guys, all that matters is what Jesus did. He took our silence so we could get his words. The perfect son, Jesus Christ, never did anything wrong. Tempted in every way we are. Faultless in any courtroom. Silence from the Father. Why? Because because God is just and He's right and He's pure and He's holy and sin must have punishment and must be satisfied because that's right and that's justice. Yes. Jesus, the perfect child, faultless in every way, never sinless, put up on the cross like an animal 
Because he loves us and his mercy is abundant and he doesn't want us to go to hell and he just wants to be with us? Yes. So he took our silence so we could get his words. So I urge all of you guys and myself, everyone, hear those words. Let that be the fire in your heart that controls your tongue. Let that be the rudder that steers the ship. Let that be the spark that ignites everything. You are my son. You are my daughter. Not just that. I am pleased with you. I love you. And I know, I know you messed up, man. I know you did. You're a kid. But you're my kid. You're my child. You're my son. You're my daughter. So when we believe that God lives in our hearts and he loves us like that, that heals our tongue, it heals our hearts, and it heals our souls. Are you ready to start being healed? I know I am, man. I lived way too long of a life, unhealed, broken, bad speech. And I'm telling you, man, this side's way better. I'm telling you. I know I'm a son, and I know I'm a, I'm a daughter, and I know I'm loved. And I don't care about anything else. Dear Lord, allow us to let that be true in our hearts. That I'm a son and I'm a daughter. And that you put truth and love together in perfectness on the cross. Thank you so much, Lord. You are, you are holy, 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 holy. So good to us. And I pray that every son and every daughter here could be just that. And we can all realize whose we are. That we don't have to worry about anything else. That, that our hearts can be transformed, Lord. That out from our hearts can be your love and our words can be healing and unifying and truth and love at the same time. Lord, right now, come over us. Right now, convict us. Right now, allow us to acknowledge that we are your son, your daughter, your children. Lord, we love you so much. Thank you for adopting us and never letting us go.